Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival, running online from May 6th through 16th. Even though Northwest Fest can't happen in a movie theater this year, they've still put together an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs. In fact, this year there are a whopping 40 feature films plus 40 short films available for viewing to anyone in Alberta. This is your chance to stream some of the hottest new docs from Canada and abroad, many of which are Canadian, international, or even world premieres. All access streaming passes, ticket packs, and single tickets are available right now at northwestfest.ca. I know we often speak about the weather, but uh, the weather is always an interesting topic here in Edmonton because Alberta weather is famously fickle. (laughs) Weird. Especially in the springtime where you can have 24 hours in which you see sun, rain, and snow. Without any evidence of there being sun, rain, or snow within four hours of it. Yeah. Like, uh, we over the course of the weekend, we had a day where we were in short weather, and then the next day, it snowed. Yeah. <laughs> and you and had to have just, a coat on. And not just, oh, it snowed a little. Like, it was a blizzard. Yeah. We like had a, a weird dump of snow. <laughs> and then two days later, gone. And it's a particularly pertinent thing to talk about in this particular novel, because the novel, so far, has been taking place in Edmonton. Oh, yes. So when the weather goes weird... If and when the weather goes weird in this novel, while they're still in Edmonton, it's not going to be that unusual to anybody else, probably except Johnny. Yeah, and here's the thing. Uh, You're going to think, but Scott and Anita, the novel we've established takes place in June of 2002. Surely the weather will be nice in June, to which I laugh at you derisively, (laughs) because we have... We have had June snowstorms in Edmonton. We sure have. It's uncommon. Uh, and actually, Edmonton gets quite nice in the summer. Yes. Uh, hot even. But we have had June snowstorms before. So just something to keep in mind. Just saying. It's out there. It's happened. Uh, at any rate, quick recap of the third chapter of our novel in which we, uh, first of all, we get a little more context for the manner in which Nick and Johnny originally met. Unfortunate circumstances of that. Yeah. Uh, And we also have an unusual picnic out at Johnny's lake house where something is skulking through the woods. Something terrifying enough that Johnny packs everyone up into the van and whisks them home and then asks to meet Nick later on and gives him only cagey answers as we head into chapter four of Beneath the Rising by Primi Mohammed. occurred to me between last chapter and this chapter. Quick question for you, if you will. Sure. Are Nikki and Johnny the only two who can see the thing? Well, we haven't established that anybody else can. Or that anybody else has. So Just a, just a thought I had. Like, is it possible that they're the ones that are freaked out because they're the only ones who could see it? 
well, we we don't know if anybody else is freaking out because it's all been from Nick's perspective. I know. And he's only really been in the vicinity of Johnny since they saw it. So hard to say. Mm, just something that cropped up in the back of my mind. Yeah. We'll find out, I'm sure. Well, it's not impossible that they're the only two who can see it because they were the two who were near to the reactor when it was activated. Right. But who's to say? Mm. Nick walks Johnny home, uh, despite her protestation that it would probably be safer for them to split up. But he's still kind of hung up on her going and rescuing the twins earlier. He's feeling a little emasculated by that. <laughs> and so he he wants to feel useful again and insists on walking her home. He's also a little perturbed that she's acting as though she has some unique knowledge about what's going on and is being kind of purposefully vague and withholding. It's because she is. Well, yeah, but it's it's starting to grate on him a little bit. Like, yes. normally she's very forthcoming. Normally she can't shut up about stuff. <laughs> but for some reason, all of a sudden, when it matters, she's being cagey and withholding. And it's it's really bothering him because her explaining things to him might make him feel better. Well, yeah, and then he'll at least be on the same page and know what's going on. Yeah. As they get to Johnny's house, Nick again starts to get that weird sensation that he can see things in his periphery. Yeah, right. And Johnny starts to get real jumpy. And he assumes that a similar phenomenon is is occurring to her as well. Yeah. Um, she's jumpy enough, in fact, that she pulls him inside when they get to the door and basically like locks the door behind him and is like, you are not going back out there. <laughs> More or less. And here's the thing. This is where Nick is trying to convince himself that it's nothing. Yeah. He's like, it's nothing. It was like a rabbit or a cat or some breeze rustling the leaves and creeping us out. He's convinced that his mind is playing tricks on him because nothing else makes sense. Yeah. He actually briefly wonders maybe it was some secret government mutant and then immediately, he literally laughs out loud. <laughs> because he's like, that's absurd. The Canadian government can't even get running water to reservations, let alone make some secret government mutant. <laughs> right? They're just not that competent. He actually thinks it's more likely that it's an alien than a secret government mutant. And honestly, he kind of settles on probably a stalker in a cheap costume looking to get a scare out of Johnny. Which, in all honesty, is the most realistic thing. Yeah. Right? But Johnny is clearly spooked by something. And she says, stay here. I'm going to make a couple phone calls. Nick's knee-jerk reaction is to tell her no. He has work tomorrow. But he catches sight of something, what he thinks might be something outside of the window. And despite him telling himself it's got to be nothing, her being spooked has him spooked. He can't help it. She's normally very calm, collected, confident. So to see her being out of sorts throws him for, for quite the loop. This is uh, the point in the chapter where he recalls a prior conversation that he had with Johnny, who kind of had to explain to him why she resorts so often to cunning rather than smarts. Mm -hmm. And it's because she's not popular amongst established scientists, as she calls it the old boys club. Because, they don't like being shown up by a young girl. Yeah, they are old and boys, and she is neither of those things. Yes. She's kind of had to deal with overcoming that hurdle most of her life. And Nick has no sympathy for her. You want to talk about overcoming hurdles all your life. <laughs> Look at the brown boy standing next to you. And fun fact, Johnny doesn't care. Nope. As is often the case, she just immediately turned that conversation back to herself and feeling sorry for herself. And Nick's kind of used to it, which is unfortunate. 
Uh, yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm like, that's really quite sad. It's kind of self-centered of Johnny. Yes. Spooked and not wanting to stay by the front door, Nick decides it's time to go and hang out with Benjamin Franklin's science octopus. Which is the best name ever. I love it. Ben is apparently a giant mutant octopus that Johnny accidented. I, is he a mutant? Well, he's definitely a giant octopus that Johnny accidented. Well, yes, she accidented him, but I don't think she accidented him into being a mutant. But one would argue that he is automatically a mutant by being not a normal octopus. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Either way, it makes him feel safer because he's in the vicinity of another living creature, basically. Nick is used to kind of a cramped living space. He's used to having people around to bumping up and rubbing shoulders with folks. And being in Johnny's giant, sterile, empty house is kind of unnerving for him. It's the opposite of comfort. Right. And in this way, he is very much the opposite of Johnny. Yes. Right. And he kind of reflects on this a little bit in the chapter. We get this lovely section, a little bit of character work, where he remembers a conversation with Johnny about how much she doesn't like people. And how she forces herself to be around people so that she doesn't get used to being alone. Because she wants to be alone. Not just about being used to being alone, but so that she doesn't forget how to deal with people. Yeah, she doesn't want to forget how to people, so she has to force herself yeah. to be around people. It's not explicitly that she doesn't like people. It's that she's very used to focusing on her work. And that leaves her a lot of the time just like by herself hunkered down over books and reports and science. If she does that forever, she will forget how to people. Yeah. <laughs> because there are occasions where she has to deal with people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she likes it very much. That's the impression I got, is that if Johnny never had to see people again, she'd be okay with it. For the most part. And I mean, this touches into something that comes up later on, too. Is that because she doesn't like people or because she feels like she needs to focus on her work and people are taking her away from that? Probably a little of column A and a little of column B. Because she likes Nick and Nick is people. Well, Although one. she will she will explicitly call him her stuff at some point in this chapter. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. She actually moved out on her own at eight years old. Uh, she essentially emancipated herself from her mom who she was living with at the time because her parents had separated yeah and with her mom's blessing and because she's she was clearly smart enough to take care of herself and had rutger around her mom agreed and she moved into this lab slash house slash super genius lair uh <laughs> shortly thereafter nick intimates that it is because she doesn't like people messing with her stuff she would rather be in her own place with her things one of the reasons why she maintains her own labs in her house and she confirms, yes, I don't like people touching my stuff. And Nick at one point had made a comment about him being included in that. And she confirmed, yes. Yeah. He made something about uh, Astro, like, is that is that why you keep me around? And she's like, I keep you because you are mine. And that was a little red flag in the back of Nita's head. Who talks like that to your friends? Nick gets comfy in the reading chair in the reading room next to the science octopus. Uh, the only <laughs> Ben Franklin science octopus. The only other creature in the room, technically speaking, is Johnny's chemistry robot, who gives Nick the absolute creeps. Well, and the way he describes it, it's creepy looking. Yeah, and he's convinced that one day it's going to try to science on him. <laughs> it's going to attack him and science him. Uh, and he is uncomfortable with that, but not so uncomfortable that he can't fall asleep in its immediate vicinity. It's also, remember, very late at night, after a couple of very stressful days, Nick's just bagged. And drifts off 
into a very strange nightmare. Into creepy sleep. Yeah. The kind where you wake up screaming and then in the immediate aftermath have a little trouble parsing reality and dream for a moment. Yes. I hate that. He screams so much, in fact, that his throat is raw and bloody when he wakes up. Ew. Yeah, and he like, definitely no longer feels safe by himself. That must be the worst feeling. Yeah, so he slinks back upstairs to Johnny, who is sitting in the kitchen in her SpongeBob pajamas. This was an interesting thing that I noted. Johnny doesn't want Nick to leave, but she also doesn't want to be with him either. Like, no. they get into the house and basically go their separate ways. Nick even actually is cognizant of this fact, because he mentions in the chapter, it's not so much that Johnny wants him to stay as she is afraid to let him leave. Because yeah. she does have things she wants to do, and he is a distraction at the moment. And she just can't deal with that because she has to deal with this. But she also recognizes that it is unsafe for him to leave the house. So, yeah, and Nick is aware. Oh, yeah. As are the readers, I'm sure, because it's kind of blatant. She tells him that it is still outside and actually chides herself a little on letting him talk her into walking her home. And Nick finally starts to freak out a little and is just like, listen, just tell me what's going on. Like, I just had some weird nightmares. She tries to pivot to that and he shuts her right down. It's like, no, just talk to me. And finally, begrudgingly, she kind of relents. She starts with the short answer, which is the Slenderman is almost assuredly slendermanning outside right now and deciding what to do about them. And yes, she is aware of it because it has been aware of her for a long time. I want to know what that means. Nick asks if he had his nightmare because the Slenderman is outside, and she's like, eh, it's not impossible. <laughs> that could be a thing that is happening. Solid maybe. At this juncture, he's like, okay, well, if we're sure that thing is out there and we know it's dangerous... Like, do you have a monorail or a zeppelin <laughs> or a zipline or a the underground mine carts, something, yeah. anything that can get us out of here? And she's like, honestly, no, because I never thought I'd have to escape from my house. I do have a, a sensible panic room. That's about it. <laughs> <A sen> <laughs> what makes a sensible panic room? She asks, do you believe what I'm telling you so far? And Nick can't give her an honest yes here. He's like, mm, I don't know. And she's like, well... Do you believe that I believe it? And he confirms, yes, okay. I believe what you are saying you believe. is going on, you believe. Yeah. And at the very least, there's that. Yeah. I don't think you're BSing me, but I'm not sure I believe what you believe. And she goes, okay, so long as that is the case, so long as there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief here, let me try to bring you up to speed a little bit. So she starts with a metaphor. She says, imagine, if you will, a house. A house has doors that lead inside, but you can't get into the house unless you have the key or the code or whatever, whatever yeah. it is that, that gets you into the house. Once you do get into the house, there are other doors in the house, but they're easier to get through because you've already gotten through that first initial barrier. Yeah. Not, not all the inside doors are locked. Exactly. And he's like, okay, I, I think I follow you. And she's like, all right, well, the world is the house. There are things that exist outside of the world, which we'll call Ancient Ones. She actually gives them a couple different titles. We'll, we'll just call them Ancient Ones for short. Yes. They are out there, and they are kind of hedged out from our world. They are locked out of the house. They don't have the key. They don't have the passcodes. We know about them because there are a lot of extinct civilizations in the world who have made mention of them. I hypothesize, some people hypothesize, that they were wiped out due to a conflict 
with these ancient ones. But somewhere along the way, they found a way to either lock them out or put them to sleep or both. And that's why we still live on the world relatively normally. But something has happened and they are now aware and they want to get back in. And it would be bad news if they do, because they are unimaginably evil. They will do bad things to us if they get back in. Nick's like, okay, so are they back now? Is that thing out there? Is the Slender Man one of them? And she's like, no, no, they're still hedged out. However, because they're awake and because the house is not hermetically sealed, little things can slip in. If enough little things slip in, they might be able to open a door. <laughs> Unlock a door, yeah. And that Slender Man out there is one of those little things that has slipped in. And Nick's like, okay, that sounds terrible. However, I have work tomorrow. I need to go home now. <laughs> That's literally how the conversation goes. She yeah. drops this bombshell on him and he's just like, all right, but I have work tomorrow. I, I wonder Priorities. If, I wonder if maybe Nick's brain just can't comprehend the existential dread yeah. that is And make no him. mistake, Johnny, unfortunately, is smart enough to grapple with that. Because as she's explaining this to him, she is hyperventilating. Like, she is clearly troubled by the existential scope of what she's discussing. And it's sliding over Nick. Yeah. And all he can really focus on is, I have my dead-end grocery job that I need to get to tomorrow. I will be fired. And that will be the end of my world. And your monsters can wait. Like... <laughs> yes. You can stay the night and I will have Rutger drive you to work in the morning. While you're being driven to work, I will try to keep the Slender Man's attention focused on me because the last thing I want is for him to follow you and take an interest in you. Better that he's focused on me. And she even says that uh, she'll see if maybe turning on the reactor might work because she's already suspicious the reactor has something to do with what's happened. And that that might be what he's interested in. Mm -hmm. Nick wonders, hey, wait, 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 is Rutger in on this? Like, does he know what's going on with all this occult business you're talking about? And she's like, no, but I have reached out to some people who do have expertise in the area for some help. And he's like, okay, obviously they can't help us immediately. Are we safe in the house? And the only answer Johnny can give is, well, the house was designed to protect me from humans. <laughs> so <laughs> probably? So question mark? Maybe? Uh, Nick goes and takes a fear shower, <laughs> which he tells himself is not a fear shower. No. Puts on a big t-shirt and the two of them head down to a reading room deep beneath the house, which Johnny's like, if this thing is trying to observe us, this is probably the hardest room in the house to observe. Yeah. So if anything, this is probably where we're safest. No outside windows. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think any outside walls. No. So. It's like an interior room. Yeah. Yeah. As Nick kind of uh, settles down onto his couch, he has another reverie where he remembers a time when Johnny was only 10 years old and very nearly worked herself to death. Yeah. Until both her parents and Rutger insisted she slow down. He doesn't come right out and say this, but his thinking is that it's, it's like she felt she didn't have enough time to get done all the things she needed to get done. Yeah, like her brain was full and she needed to get it all out. Yeah, she was 10 years old and she was acting like her, like she had 24 hours to do it all. Later, when they were at a, a a botanical event, she showed him the centennial flower and kind of explained its business to him. And at the time, he didn't really understand what she was talking about. He was just like, yeah, it's a weird flower, whatever. 
because he was young. Yes. Um, but in retrospect, he recognizes that she was talking about this this plant that kind of saves itself up to do something spectacular and go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, the century flower. He also, in this weirdly intimate moment with her, because she's falling asleep on the opposite couch from him, yeah. admits to himself he is pretty sure he's in love with her. But he is also very afraid to admit it to her. And part of the reason for that is not necessarily because she might not reciprocate or because it might ruin their friendship, but because he's felt for a while that they've been maturing apart from one another. Yes. And it was an interesting way for him to phrase that. Because in many ways, Johnny has been an adult since she was a kid. Because she's a super genius. And she's been living by herself and and being self-sufficient since she was eight years old. and. On the surface, it reads like he's saying she's more mature than me. But the weird thing is, the subtext is, in many ways, he's more mature than her. Because he's more emotionally mature than she is. Yes. I feel bad for Johnny in this particular context. Because her genius has forced her to mentally grow up very quickly. Which doesn't leave you with a lot of life experience. Yeah. Living on your own since you were eight years old. Like, that is a very unique experience. That is not a lot of life experience experience she's only spent eight years in the world yeah yeah, she might be super smart but and there's things that you can read in a book that don't necessarily translate one-to-one to to the lived experience right oh and vice versa yeah like you can you can understand the theory behind cooking but if you've never actually cooked anything right it's very different (laughs) exactly we've i mean we've used this metaphor a lot over the past uh in our podcast with different books but it's the difference between intelligence and wisdom if you're going to boil it down to your D&D stats. <laughs> Bring out the nerd stats. Here we go. It's a pleasure to meet you. Intelligence is is your smarts based on what you've learned from books. How much information you have and have retained. Wisdom is your emotional maturity. It's your ability to connect with others. It's your understanding of how the world works. It's your It's your common sense. Johnny is very much intelligence and nick is very much wisdom yes intelligence is knowing that the rattlesnake is dangerous wisdom is knowing to stay away from the rattlesnake that is a good way to put it yes so with all that and having had a little bit of introspection nick begins to drift off and and just as he is about to wonder how johnny knows all this stuff about the ancient ones and the occult he plunges back into sleep. Yeah. He he cannot stay awake anymore. No. It's she's turned off the lights in an interior room, so it is pitch black. Yeah. Like he's he's done. He's out. Initially he's finding like the natural noises that their biology are, is making in the dark. Right? Like the they quiet. can hear each other breathing. Yeah, and... at at first it's very grating for him because it's this weird closeness that he's not used to with her. Yeah. In the quiet, in the dark, he can hear her breathing, he can hear his stomach gurgling and he's just like this is a nightmare. <laughs> he can and... hear himself blinking like But then it it starts to become comforting, like it it crests over into no, it's actually kind of like comfortable to hear that and then foosh, he's asleep. Yeah. And the nightmare resumes, yeah, then basically. He falls back into creepy sleep again. Like it's it's episode two of the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> he yes, picks basically. up practically where he left off. Yeah. There's there's a previously on <laughs> in our last nightmare. <laughs> he wakes himself up by falling off the couch and uh actually flicks on a light because he's like, I need to be I need to be awake. Uh, and sees that Johnny is frozen in sleep. In in a way he recognizes from when the twins apparently used to have night terrors. Yes. He manages to wake her up 
and they confirm quickly they were having very similar nightmares. So something weird's going on. There. Right. And also a couple hours have passed because it is already 545. So mm -hmm. she's just like, you know what? Might as well just get ready and I'll call up Rutger and we'll get you to work. And that is the end of chapter four. You want to talk about the creepy shadow in the corner of the room? Sure. So once again, Nick sees something. Well, at the very least, thinks he sees thinks something. Thinks he sees something, right? In that weird space between dreaming and awake when you're still getting your bearings, it's almost like the shadows are advancing or were advancing on them and are now retreating. Yeah. But he can't tell if it's the fog of his head or if he's actually seeing it. He actually feels for a moment like they're, like one of the corners has opened up into, right? into like a, a space that just keeps on receding and then slowly comes back into focus as a normal corner. Right? That's creepy. Want to go into the Lovecraft box? Yes. Well, no, but yes. So part of the Lovecraft apocrypha and, and mythos uh, are creatures called Hounds of Tindalos. <laughs> uh, I know about these ones. The Hounds of Tindalos are extra chronological beings. They're not extra dimensional beings. They live outside of time as we understand it. And the, the way they intersect with our reality is through angles, basically. Corners. And so any corner can become a Tindalos doorway from which they can emerge. Don't think about that too hard. It's uh, very scary. <laughs> And because they exist outside of time, they can come at you whenever. But they generally leave us alone if we don't take note of them. They don't like to be spotted. They don't like to be noticed. Which is good. Is kind of their, their shtick. And they try to rub out anybody who's meddling with time. Now, we're not necessarily meddling with time here. That we know. That we know. But it's also possible that the uh, the ancient ones that Premium Muhammad has uh, cooked up intersect with our reality in a similar way. Because uh, in this chapter, Johnny does mention that there are thin places and like hinges of the world and, and stuff like that. Places where reality as we understand it gets a little more liminal and you might find a doorway into another dimension. Maybe that's coterminous with corners in our universe. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Super scary. But I did pick up on that, and I wanted to go into the Lovecraft box about it to tell you something. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm very proud of myself. I thought the same thing. There you go. When he was talking about the corner, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's like a Hound of Tindalos thing. Yeah. Remixing Lovecraft ideas. <laughs> very scary. Sure. One more thing has occurred to me before we wrap up our episode. Yep. Um, our Slenderman mm -hmm. is gunning for Johnny. To the best of our knowledge. To the best of our knowledge. We're pretty sure. Or at least is keeping an eye on Johnny. Right. And I wonder why. Is it simply because of her fancy reactor? Or do they... Because they've been aware of her for a long time, she said. Yeah, because she's been... Since she was eight years old, she's been pulling off impossible science. Right. So do they want her specifically? Or has she just drawn their attention because of what she's able to do? Right. That's what I mean. Do they want her because she's the one who opened the door by accident? Or does it matter who opened the door because what they want is her on the other side? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage in some irresponsible speculation. Oh, it's what we do best. The reason Johnny's able to do all of this impossible science and has changed the world so often is because she's actually using magic. Oh, you think? And I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss her, her intelligence. Because you would have to be very smart to be able to do what she's done. Um, but she was able to get her hands on some occult knowledge and translated that in the ability to tap into some magic uh, because she, she straight up 
name drops magic in this chapter and says that a lot of the energies or abilities that these godlike entities outside of our world possess are indistinguishable from magic to us. What if she was able to tap into that and use that to do some of the impossible things she has done? And that has attracted attention from creatures that use that magic and are attracted to that magic, which she also name drops in this chapter. Interesting. That might be why they have her attention. And because maybe she used some of this magic to create this reactor, it was uh, powerful enough that it broke reality enough for something to get in. Its attention is on her because she's the wizard. And... Nick has the stink of magic on him because he was standing near to it, and that's why it's also attracted to him. This is, again, wild and irresponsible wild speculation. We have scant evidence that this could be, be the totally case. wrong. Yeah. Interesting theory, though. But it's possible. And it would explain why Johnny knows about all this stuff, mm. other than just she's a super genius who devours books and also devoured some obscure forbidden tomes, <laughs> which is possible. It's possible that her science is totally legit, and she has, in fact, not been cheating by using magic. And I'm not trying to diminish her intelligence. Again, even if she's using magic, it's astonishing. Like, it's impressive. Well, <laughs> I don't think her using magic would be cheating, because the way she explained it, if I remember correctly, um, it's just such an advanced science that it looks like magic. Yeah. And, right? it would, and it would certainly take a genius to understand it. Exactly. And I mean, in most cases, people who are remixing Lovecraft view magic, quote unquote, as Lovecraft presented it in his stories, as, um, I'm going to borrow from uh, Ken Haidt and Robin D. Laws here, hyperspace geometry. <laughs> it, is, it is incredibly advanced math. It is physics uh, on a level that we do not yet comprehend. And it is thus indistinguishable from magic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, I'm just, and that's just me off the top of my head right now <laughs> coming up with that theory based off of your question there. 50-50 if that's the case. Because again, it's based on, based on scandal. Oh elements. yeah. Based on very little. It's based on us being creative. Also, I am a little suspicious now of Premi Mohammed. Why? Uh, because I think she's been stalking us to write a book specifically for us. Why do you say that? This book is made for us. Listen, listener, <laughs> gentle readers, this book is not for you. It is for us. But we are allowing you to yeah, read it out of the kindness of our You're just allowed to read it. Yes. The first, the first four chapters of this book have taken place in my hometown, throwing references to places I have been. The whole thing at the Matart Conservatory. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring up the Matart Conservatory. Right? Everyone, everyone here calls it the Mutart Conservatory, but it is named for the Matart family. Yes. I've been to the conservatory many times over, as have yeah. you. We go together on dates sometimes. Yeah. It's quite lovely. It's a, it's a botanical garden broken into kind of four large garden areas inside of glass pyramids. Yeah. So which when are she a... talks about the century flower breaking through the pyramid, I knew exactly what she was talking about because I have been there. Yeah. there's a, You can Google it right now. Lovely pictures of it in the River Valley of Edmonton. Oh, yeah. Fantastic place. Very cool. That appeals to me because I don't need to imagine a place. I've been there. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I love it. I can, I can vividly imagine with, I'm guessing, somewhat accurate visuals of what's going on so far in this book. And then she pours in, she, she sprinkles it liberally with Lovecraft, which is for you, my darling. Oh, you, you get some of it. You've been living with me for a while. Exactly. But I get it through osmosis. You get it from your like straight up passion for the creepy weird. All I'm saying is, so far, this book is written for me. She, it's like she knows. 
All right. Well, with that said, in order to prevent this episode from getting too long, <laughs> uh, we will wrap it up there. We'll need to read up on chapter five in time for next week. And uh, in the meantime, you know, Johnny just mentioned last chapter to Nick that he should be thinking about his future and what kind of career he might be able to get for himself and suggested that he get some post-secondary education at Nate. And wouldn't you know it, Nate is one of the supporters of the Alberta Podcast Network. And here's a little advertisement for them. It's a hard decision, but I think you just, you know, you feel it like there's something missing. You're continuing on, you're going to work, but it, it's not excited to do it. I jump out of bed to do what I do. I love Anthony Bourdain. I read Kitchen Confidential, it got me into cooking. I thought, this is rock and roll, this is cool. Anthony Bourdain was a failed chef, and the things he did and romanticized led him to ruin. People get lost in that message. If I, a young business owner who owns a cafe in a small town, can make time for mental health in my business and to help educate our guests and our peers, then what's stopping larger groups of restaurants and better chefs than me from doing it in theirs? Introducing Career Essentials, a new podcast from Tech Life Today and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. We feature the stories and experiences of Nate alumni with lessons for everyone. Whether you're just starting out or further along your career journey, each episode will give you perspectives, tools, and tips that are essential to growth and success. Career Essentials is created and hosted by the team at techlifetoday.ca, Nate's online magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, Career Essentials, a podcast out of Nate. Cool. You can uh, learn more about uh, the network and its supporters right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, check out the other great podcasts hosted by the network. <laughs> the one bazillion other podcasts available to you. Uh, you can find those podcasts right now on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. Uh, probably that's where you're downloading our podcast. You might stop by our podcast page. Give us a little rating and a review. We appreciate it. Very much so. Let us know if you reviewed us on social media. Yes. Uh, pick your poison. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads. We are at the read-along on most of those. Pretty yeah. easy to find. And if the limited amount of characters on many of those social media platforms is too short for you, you can also send us an email directly. We are the readalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For more creepy happenings. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Mm-hmm.